Good morning, everyone. What a joy it is to be gathered again in the Lord's house, to be able to come together as God's people and set our hearts and minds towards the living God. Very, very warm welcome to all of you. It's a delight to have you with us. If you're a visitor here today, a special welcome to you. And it is our prayer for all of you that the Lord himself would minister to you and encourage your hearts. Just two announcements. Firstly, just a reminder that this Saturday coming is the final women's uh, prayer brunch. So please come and join us for that and enjoy some fine food provided for you and a time of prayer as well. And secondly, you'll see this in the session news, but the elders have asked me to bring the following notice to you. As most of you are aware, the elders recently worked through a process of reconciliation with some people related to issues surrounding COVID. This process has now drawn to a close. Therefore, next Sunday, that is the 19th, after the morning service, the elders will bring a report to the congregation, and we encourage everyone to do their best to be here for the report. So we look forward to that as well. But we have gathered here this morning to worship God, so I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me as we come into God's presence. As we enter into the throne room of God, and by faith we look to Him, and He Himself calls us to worship Him with the words of Isaiah 12. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One. Of Israel. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can draw near to you today, that we can come into the throne room of grace and lay eyes by faith upon the King of kings and Lord of lords and not be turned away because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that, that through Christ we can draw near and that we are loved. And we pray that you would help us to sing with joyful hearts for the glorious deeds of the Lord, that we might proclaim your majesty among the peoples, that, Lord, you would be pleased to accept our worship. We ask that you would smile upon us this morning, that you would set your face upon us, that you would lift up your countenance upon us, that we might know your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, come, brothers and sisters, let us worship God with the words of yet not I, but through Christ in me.
We're going to take the opportunity this morning to profess our faith together using the Christological statement. If you're an unbeliever here and you don't believe these things, you don't need to say them, but I would encourage you to consider who is Christ? From whence does your salvation come from? Where will you look for eternal life? But as for us, the people of God, we confess together. We confess the mystery and wonder of God made flesh and rejoice in our great salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. With the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Son created all things, sustains all things, and makes all things new. Truly God, He became truly man, two natures in one person. He was born of the Virgin Mary and lived among us, crucified, dead, and buried. He rose on the third day, ascended to heaven, and will come again in glory and judgment. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, and satisfied God's wrath. He took our filthy rags and gave us his righteous robe. He is our prophet, priest, and king, building his church, interceding for us, and reigning over all things. Jesus Christ is Lord. We praise his holy name forever. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to open up God's Word together this morning and turn through to the Psalms and to Psalm 95, and that will be read for us. For those of you who have Church Bibles, Psalm 95 is on page 467. Hear God's word for us this morning. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading of his word. Thanks, brother. 
Well, as we read those, that final section from verse 8 onwards, we're challenged, aren't we? Because if we're honest, we don't have to look very far in our lives to see how we've hardened our hearts, right? When the Lord's voice has come to us in His Word or in preaching, and we've closed our hearts to it and refused to respond or refused to walk in it. And so it's right and good for us to take the opportunity to confess our sin, and we're going to do that together by singing Psalm 51, and I'd ask you to remain seated as we confess our sin together with the first five verses of Psalm 51. Let's sing.
Well, we ask the Lord to hide our sin from His face by His grace, and He does it. He promises not to hold our sin against us, but to cleanse it in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is faithful and just and never fails His promises. And so as we've confessed our sin together, He is gracious to remove us, to remove from us all of our unrighteousness. Well, we have the opportunity this morning to welcome Carlo and Julia into membership, which is wonderful. Technically, Carlo's being transferred in and Julia's doing a membership by profession of faith, but rather than doing two forms, which would just take way longer, we're just doing a profession of faith for both of them again. I'm sure Carlo doesn't mind professing his faith again. We, we trust. Uh, <laughs> but it was, a, it was a joy. The session we're able to meet with Carlo and Julia and examine them and hear the way that the Lord has worked in their lives to bring them up and to bring them into the house of the Lord and to make them a part of his people. And of course, it's been a double blessing for us to have them come and join with us for a season as Carlo prepares for the ministry and as they both prepare their hearts in service of the Lord. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to welcome people into the church, isn't it? it? It reminds all of us. You see, this is not just something for them, but it reminds all of us of the vows we've taken or the vows we haven't taken and we ought to. And so it's a wonderful opportunity for each and every one of us to consider the profession that we've made and then also, of course, make promises to them. And our prayer is that God would enable us to keep our vows, isn't it? Because it's not easy. But He is faithful, and His Spirit works within us that we might be faithful to Him. And so I'd like to ask Carlo and Julia to come and join me at the front, please. Well, Carlo and Julia, uh, in accordance with Romans 10, which says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I'd like to invite you to profess your faith before these people, but also and especially before God. And so I'd ask you to answer to the following questions. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving the wrath of God and without hope except in His sovereign mercy? We do. do you repent of your sins and your sinfulness and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only Son of God and Savior of sinners? loving and trusting Him alone as the one who saves you from your sins and provides you with His perfect righteousness? Do you believe that the Bible is the complete Word of God, perfectly revealing Christ, His redemption, and all things necessary for His people? Do you promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, to strive with all your might to live as becomes a follower of Christ? Do you promise to give yourself wholeheartedly to the church of Christ, to submit yourself to its authority and discipline, 
and to exercise your gifts for its purity, peace, and praise. Wonderful. Brothers and sisters, would you please stand? I would ask you to make promises and vows before the Lord to Carlo and Julia by responding to the following questions with the words on the screen. Do you promise to love, encourage, and support Carlo and Julia by teaching and living out the gospel? Do you promise to receive them in Christ? Do you promise to give them the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service? People of God, what is your answer? Carlo and Julia, I exhort you to make good on this profession with the words of Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. Congregation, please be seated. And I'd like to invite the elders to come up and welcome them into the church on behalf of the church. And then Brother Warren will pray for them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us by bringing Carlo and Julia to us. And we pray that we in turn will be a blessing to them. Heavenly Father, this morning they have made vows and we likewise have made promises. And we pray, Lord, that through your spirit you will help us and enable us to keep those vows and to be a blessing to you, in service to you. We pray that you will sustain Carlo in his studies so that he is able to complete them. And we pray that through your blessing, you will enable them both to continue to serve you in gospel work, in servant roles, spreading your word and building your kingdom in this place and throughout the world. We pray your blessing upon them as we welcome them into our church family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, shall we sing together our membership song, The Church's One Foundation? Please stand and sing.
Well, let us come to our Lord and God in heaven with a time of prayer and bring our needs before him. Let's pray.
Do we have any children that would like to come to the front this morning? Well, children, I, when, I was a, when I was a little boy, I was little once, I know that might be surprising, but once upon a time I was little and I went to a church in Hamilton called Aberdeen, okay? And it was called Aberdeen because it was on the road called Aberdeen, I know, very fancy name. And outside of this church, there was a tree and it looked a whole lot like an apple tree. In fact, it looked so much like an apple tree that it had fruit on it that looked like apples. That's pretty weird, eh? And, and I used to often sort of go into church and I'd see the apple tree there. It was on public property, by the way. And I would think to myself, man, I really want to try one of those apples. They look really, really good. And so one day after church, I thought to myself, I'm going to go get one of those apples because I love apples. So I walk outside to this apple tree and there's some apples on the ground and there's a few left up on the tree. And I think to myself, well, the ones on the ground are probably not very good because they're like eaten by worms and people have stood on them and they're looking a bit gross. But I'll get one of the ones off the tree. So I, I climb up the tree, I pick one of the apples, and I hop down with my prize. And I was very happy with my apple prize. Not yet, you've got to wait for the question. I was very happy with my prize as I get down with this apple. And I bit into this apple, and I was shocked. There wasn't a worm inside it, if you're thinking that that's what's going to happen. But I bit into this apple, and it was hard. And it was sour, and it was gross, and it was bitter and disgusting. It, I was like, what kind of apple is this? Who plants an apple tree with apples that taste like this? This is the worst apple I've eaten in my life. And so I threw the apple away, as you do. Should have put it in the bin, but I don't think I did. So I threw the apple away, and then that, that day I hopped in the car to go home from church, and I said to Mum, Mum, I ate one of those apples on that apple tree, and it was disgusting. And she said to me, of course it is. I said, Why? She goes, because it's a crab apple tree. I went, oh, I don't know what a crab apple tree is, but apparently it's a type of apple when they make these little apples. Apparently you can make like um, jam out of them and it's pretty good, but turns out they're not good for eating. They're hard and disgusting. And well, at least this one was. And, and I learned an important lesson that day that not everything that, that sort of looks the part is necessarily the real thing. It's a little bit like when you go up to one of those bushes with berries on it and you go, oh, I love berries. And mum says, don't eat the berries. Those are not good berries to eat. But they look yummy. Well, they may look yummy, but they're actually poisonous. See, sometimes things might look good or even sound good, but they're actually not. See, that's a picture of what we're going to be looking at in the Bible today. We're going to be looking and thinking about a word called hypocrisy, which is a very big word, which means you say one thing or you say you are something, but actually inside you're something very, very different. And God hates hypocrisy. And so we're going to be looking at the hypocrisy in Crete among the false teachers. And we're going to be learning some things about hypocrites so we can spot them in the church, but especially so that we can guard ourselves from falling into it as well. 
And we all need help with that because we're all a little bit tempted to do it. So let's pray and ask God to help us to be who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the fact that you have made us a special people in God. And we pray that you would help us to be your people and not to fall into hypocrisy. Help us not to be false, but to be true. And Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you love these little children. And we pray, Lord, would you continue to call them to yourself. That, Lord, by faith they might lay hold of the glorious promises that you've given them. Help us as a church to gather around them and build them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to stand and sing Jesus Loves the Little Children, the old hymn, and then you guys can find your worksheets after that. Let's stand and sing together.
dedicate the offering to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can bring before you our gifts and offerings today. Lord, whether it's online or whether it's in the, in the box, we thank you, Lord, that we can give it to you because you have first given to us. Freely we have received, freely we give. And we do so recognizing, Lord, that all of our money is yours. Everything in the universe is yours. Everything belongs to you. And so we just bring back a portion of, of your grace. We ask that you would take it and use it to care for sojourners, for orphans, for widows, for the weak, the vulnerable, the strugglers. That, Lord, it would be used to establish the kingdom of God upon this earth. We pray, Lord. That your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, we ask, would you take this money and use it to glorify the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're turning through to the little letter of Titus. If you're a visitor here among us, we've been working our way through the little letter of Titus over the last few weeks, we find ourselves drawing to the end of chapter 1 and looking at chapter 1, verse 16. We'll pick up at chapter 1, verse 9 and read through the end of the chapter, but our text is just the 16th verse today. 
So that was Titus chapter 1, verse 9. And this is God's holy and infallible word for you this morning. He, being an elder, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Amen. May God bless the reading of His Word to us. And before we consider it, let us come before Him in a time of prayer. Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to hear from you today. And we pray, Lord, that as we come together as your people and sit under the preaching of your word, that, that you would build us up and that, Lord, you would be pleased to cause your word to bear much fruit in our hearts. Lord, we, we long to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we, we know that the way you have chosen to do that is through your word and by submitting ourselves to it. And so we pray that, Lord, as we put ourselves under the yoke of your word, that you would make it a great delight for our hearts, that we would feast on heavenly morsels and that we might behold wondrous things in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, everyone, everyone hates a hypocrite, don't they? You never really hear someone saying, you know, I really love hypocrisy. That's just one of my favorite things. One of my favorite character traits in a person is that they're really hypocritical. No one says that, do they? Whether it's, you know, the climate change expert who flies on a private jet across the world for their climate change conference, or whether it's the person that's passionate about gender equality 
but isn't particularly worried about women fulfilling the really gross jobs that no one wants to do, or whether it's the parent that says, don't do as I do, but do as I say. We, we all, we're all offended by hypocrisy, aren't we? So is God. I mean, there's, there's not many things that Jesus spoke more about than hypocrisy in the New Testament. I mean, his seven woes were for the Pharisees and scribes because they were hypocrites. Now, now most of you know what a hypocrite is, right? Most of you have probably heard that the, the word, the Greek word, comes from an actor, from a play actor. Because, of course, back in that day, they didn't have uh, 8K TV sets or zoom lenses. And when a person was acting in the center of a very small stage in a very big arena, they had to find a way of communicating their emotions to the people around them. You know, you can imagine, right, if you're in the back of a stadium and there's a small person acting in the center, how can you tell what's on their faces? And one of the ways they worked around that was by having large sort of masks, big masks, which expressed what was going on in the, in the show. So if they were angry, they'd have a big angry face. They were hypocrites. Because they're not actually angry on the inside, are they? But on the outside, it's showing it. That, that's where we understand what a hypocrite is. It's someone who puts on an outward show, acts in a certain way, speaks in a certain way, but there is something different. It's not true, right? Paul turns his mind to the false teachers. He's been dealing with them for a few verses as we've been looking at it, right? There's these false teachers in the church at Crete. And Paul has told Titus that he needs to silence the false teachers. He needs to rebuke the people that are listening to them. And now Paul delivers his final death blow. He now describes what these false teachers truly are so that people might see them and spot them. And of course, so that the people of Crete themselves may not fall in to the error that these false teachers had. And the first thing he points out is the hypocrite's profession. The hypocrite's profession. You see it there, don't you, in verse 16? They profess to know God. They profess to know God. How, how do you understand that? You shouldn't understand that like they have no knowledge of God. You know, like they're crazy pagans who have no knowledge of God, but they claim to. Rather, when he says they profess or confess, they're acknowledging something which is kind of true. They have a knowledge of God, you might say. They profess to have a knowledge of God. Or to say it differently, they know a lot about God. If they had been here this morning, or if they are here this morning, when we stood up and did our confession of faith, they would have happily said all of it. If they had been invited up here this morning to take membership vows, they would have happily taken them. If they had been sitting in the pews, 
When you made promises to Carlo and Julia, they would have happily made those promises. They do have a knowledge of God. In fact, they have a robust knowledge of God. They're teachers, right? You might even call them experts. They're, for all intents and purposes, exactly what you might think of when you think of a really wonderful, intellectual, expert in religious things or Christian things. And in fact, I dare say, if they went to GTC and sat under Jeff, they'd probably pass all their classes. And if they did an ordination exam, they'd probably pass because they knew of God. But you know, not everything that quacks is a duck, right? Sometimes the apple tree is a crab apple tree. First, first glimpses are not always accurate. And, and you know, there, there's a really important lesson in this for us. Often we can assume, and, and I don't mean this in an, in an accusatory fashion, but often we can assume that everybody that claims to be a Christian is a Christian, right? And that everybody in the church is a true Christian. It's just not true. This is one of the reasons we preach the gospel Sunday by Sunday. This is one of the reasons we call people to repent and we call people to believe. Because in every gathering, there's always a Cain and an Abel. There's always an Esau and a Jacob, right? There's always a Judas Iscariot in the midst. And so that, that should cause us, in accordance with Ecclesiastes, to be careful when we go to the house of the Lord. Why? Because even there, you will find the fall. You know, it's striking, isn't it, that when Jesus came to his own, when Jesus came to his own in John, it tells us, that he did not entrust himself to anyone because he knew what was in their hearts. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you've entrusted yourself into someone and it's come back to bite. You've been betrayed. It's not a pleasant experience, is it? Now, now, of course, this doesn't mean that we should have this insane distrust of every single person in the church, right? But we must recognize that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is of my number, Jesus says. So how do we know? How, how, do we, how, how are we meant to know if it's not just what we say, Right? Uh, Paul says, firstly, notice their profession, notice the hypocrite's profession. But then he says, notice the hypocrite's rejection. Notice the hypocrite's rejection. Have a look at the text. They profess to know God, 
but they deny him by their works. So with their mouth, they say, I am of the Lord. But with their works, they say, I am not of the Lord. Now, that's pretty straightforward, right? It's pretty clear cut. They say one thing, but they live a very, very different way. Their, their actions don't match up with what they confess to be true about themselves. We've all run into these people, haven't we? People who say one thing and do something drastically different. It's everywhere. Well, it wasn't any different back then. C consider Matthew 7 with me. Turn to Matthew 7. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is drawing near towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and he turns his attention to what, what people ought to do with his teaching and how you ought to judge those who receive it. And in Matthew 7 verse 15, we read these words. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What's going on? They come as ravenous wolves but professing to be sheep, right? And, and brothers and sisters, what we're being warned of is that there are people in the church like this who will stand up and say, yes, I believe. Yes, I know the Lord. And, and it's a little bit like you see from a distance from a distance, a glorious fruit tree, maybe an orange tree. You see this lovely looking orange tree, you know, but it's right away on the other side of the paddock. You can't make it out. You just know it's an orange tree. And so you go, great. The tree is declaring itself. It's professing itself to be an orange tree. And so you go up to the orange tree and as you draw near, you get closer and closer. And then eventually you get there and you pick up the orange and you know what it's like when you, when you put your hand in the fruit bowl and get the squishy one at the bottom? And you grab the orange and your hand punches straight through it. And you go, oh, I found the one bad one. 
and you grab another one, and another one, and another one, and every single piece of fruit is decaying and rotten. You stand back and you think to yourself, there's something not right here. But what if you drew near and expecting to find oranges, you walked up and, and you saw figs on it? You think to yourself, there's something, something not quite right here, right? It's an orange tree producing figs. What on earth's going on? That's not right. That's not normal. And Paul's saying, brothers and sisters, don't judge them by what they speak, but judge them by what they do. Does their mouth match up with how they live their lives? And, and this fits perfectly, doesn't it, with the qualifications? You remember the qualifications of elders? Why is it so important that he is a faithful husband and he is a faithful father and that he lives as a faithful godly man? Because that's the evidence, the outworking, that this is a man that is suitable to be an elder in the church. You don't, you don't go to a man in the church and say to him, do you think you're good to be an elder? And he says, yes, I do. And you go, well, that's a good enough profession for me. Let's make him an elder. You don't do that, do you? No, you examine his life. And Paul's saying, this is what you ought to do with every teacher. Don't just listen to what they say, but examine their life. You know, there's some lessons in this for us, isn't there? It's not enough for us, brothers and sisters, just to say we believe. We must live like we believe. We must live in accordance with the profession we make, right? We must be bearing fruit, whether it's the tiniest, smallest little baby fruit because we've just become a believer, or whether it's a hundredfold. Makes no difference. But we must be producing something because if we're a believer, we've received a new heart, right? And so the, the evidence of the work of God in our life will be that we're producing fruit. Is it Because the problem is, you and I, we can't judge hearts, right? I mean, it would be really handy if we could, like Jesus, who knew what was in the hearts of people. If when the elders sat down to examine someone for membership, we could just like look into the heart and be like, yep. Yeah, Turns out this person's legitimately regenerate. Not a problem. That would be real easy and much quicker. But we can't do that, do we? we? We sit with them and we have to listen to their story and we consider how they live and we look at their pattern of life and we think about what's going on in their life in order to try and ascertain whether the Lord has done a work in their heart. And so let me ask you this morning, are you producing fruit in keeping with righteousness? Or, or not. Because the, the production of fruit, even, even honestly, brothers and sisters, even if it's just a kernel, even if it's but a mustard seed-sized piece of fruit, that piece of fruit is a testimony of God's grace in your life. And don't judge. 
Don't judge by feeble frames like what someone else's fruit look like. But rather, what what has God done in my life? Am I growing? Am I walking in the fruits of the Spirit? Do I see more self-control? Do I see more patience? Do I see more love? Am I being transformed into the image of Christ day by day? Because if not, maybe the most important question you need to consider for yourself today is, am I but a professor who actually needs to become a confessor and come to Christ and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do the work within me that I might produce fruit. But this, this brings us to our third point. So, so Paul says that uh, they, the hypocrite's profession is one thing. The hypocrite's works, his fruit is another thing. It rejects that he actually knows God. But the question you have to ask yourself is why? What, what is it about the state of these false teachers? Why is it that they profess one thing and do something completely different? They profess and yet deny. And Paul tells us, have a look at the text. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Why? They are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. Unfit for any good work. What's wrong with these false teachers? What what has gone on that enables a person to make a profession of faith and yet never bear any fruit? There's something wrong within them, right? I mean, you think about a tree. If you've got a tree that is producing diseased fruit, you can't fix it by cutting all the diseased fruit off and stapling good fruit on it, right? It'll look good, but it's not going to last very long. There's something wrong at the core of the tree, whether it's in the root base, whether it's the soil is toxic, whatever it is, there's something at the root that is causing a problem. And the only way to solve it is to fix the heart of the tree. And that's the problem with these men, right? Their heart is corrupted. Notice the hypocrite's corruption. Paul states three things about this corruption. And, and it's, it's almost, you, you almost need to hear it with, with an ironic tone to it. They are detestable or they are an abomination, which is really quite ironic because they're the ones that saying, are saying, we are clean. Because we keep the law. We are clean because we observe the commands of man. Paul says that they are not just detestable but disobedient, which is ironic, isn't it? Because they've been telling everyone that this is the way to be obedient. My path is the path of obedience. Ignore everything else. Follow my way. I am the truly obedient one. 
and they are disqualified, which again is very ironic because they were telling everyone the only way to be qualified in the Lord is to follow the commands of men and Jewish myths and circumcision party talk. You see, what had gone on in these men is that their hearts, having never been healed, having never been restored, having never been regenerated, created for themselves and those around them what is acceptable, what is obedient, and what is qualified. But what they didn't realize was that they were just making themselves further corrupt, further dead. They were bearing fruit in keeping with their heart, right? What was the only solution? Well, in John it says that if Jesus makes you clean, you will be clean indeed. As I said, cutting off the fruit and replacing it's not going to work, is it? Next season, it's just going to be all dead and poisoned again. The only solution is to have the heart of the tree dug out, to be born again to a living hope, to be effectually called by God, to have a work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I don't produce any fruit. In fact, all the fruit I produce is dead. What hope do I have? The only hope you have is that God does a work in your soul and in your heart. And you might say to yourself, well, how do I get that? You cry out to the Lord and you say, Lord, make me new. Give me a new heart that not only I might believe, but I might walk before you. I might walk as your people and with you as my God. You cry out to the Lord and have mercy. Like we sung, God, be merciful to me. And he delights to do that work. You see, what happens, what happens is there's a diseased and gnarled and twisted fruit coming from a terrible tree and, and the heavenly botanist comes and he begins to do work at the sole of the tree and he cuts back the dead wood and he he digs out the toxic soil and he replaces it and he fertilizes it and he heals it and he restores it and at first what does the tree look like it looks just as gnarled and twisted and gross right but when you come back in a year what do you find The heavenly botanist has begun to cause the tree to bear fruit. And as the tree begins to bear fruit, you stand back and you see it blossom and become fuller and more glorious and more beautiful. Until the final day when it's fully healed and it no longer produces any bad fruit again.
Isn't that the story of our life, brothers and sisters? He comes to us and he gives us a new heart and he restores us that we might bear good fruit, that we might walk with good fruit, that we might live like Christ. And he does that work day in and day out, putting sin to death, bringing good works to life over and over again until one day when we are sown into the ground and raised up immortal, and raised up clean, and raised up pure. Brothers and sisters, if you feel like you don't have much fruit today, don't be discouraged. Because doesn't our Heavenly Father, doesn't our Heavenly Father dress the vine whom He loves? Doesn't He prune it? And all of the vine, all of the vine branches that bear fruit, they stay attached to the vine forever, right? But what does Jesus say? But those branches that do not bear fruit are cut off and thrown into the fire. You see, the fruit is the proof that we are a tree of God's making. And so the challenge for each and every one of us is twofold. Firstly, beware of false professors. If Judas Iscariot was able to live for three and a half years in the presence of Christ and his disciples, and when he gets to the point of betraying Jesus, all the disciples assume he's going to go and do some charitable good work. Remember that? Three and a half years he's been living with them. The disciples don't have a clue. They think he's the best guy. There's a reason why Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they all say, is it me? None of them say, is it Judas? Beware of the Judas. who will profess much and yet sell his Savior for 30 pieces of silver. But especially, beware of the temptation to be a Judas yourself. And walk in godliness. For you have been set free and you have been made clean. Or as Paul would put it, in chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to say no, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. May God be pleased to grant us to do so that each and every one of us may yield a harvest of 100-fold or 60-fold or 30-fold for the praise of His glorious grace by His Holy Spirit of sanctification. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you that you delight to heal twisted and now poisoned trees. And we pray, Lord, protect us from hypocrisy from without and from within. That, Lord, we might walk truly and faithfully before you. We thank you, Lord, that that because we have received this glorious grace, we may produce what is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, let us stand and sing in response to God's word. My worth is not in what I own. Let's stand and sing, and then I'll ask you to remain standing for the Lord's blessing. I rejoice in my redeemer.
Brothers and sisters, as you head forth into this day, the Lord's day, do so with the Lord's blessing upon you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Do we?